You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Monica Bay. We've been writing about law and technology for more than 30 years. That's right. During that time, we've witnessed many changes and innovations. Technology is improving the practice of law, helping lawyers deliver their services faster and cheaper. Which benefits not only lawyers and their clients, but everyone. And moves us closer to the goal of access to justice for all. Tune in every month as we explore the new legal technology and the people behind the tech here on Law Technology Now. Hello, this is Dan Linna. Welcome to Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. My guests today are James Lee, co-founder and CEO of LegalMation, and Thomas Su, co-founder and COO at LegalMation. James, Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Dan. Thanks for having us. Great to have you guys here while we're in New York at, at Legal Week. Why don't we just start with you guys telling us a little bit about your background as lawyers and, and journey to founding a legal tech startup. James, you want to kind of kick things off? Yeah, so I started my career at Morgan Lewis and then at Quinn Emanuel. And at Quinn, um, as fifth-year lawyers, I and a few people decided to leave and start our own law firm, our boutique law firm. And we quickly realized that um, we didn't actually know everything that we thought we did. And we also realized that um, large firms were still going to bring in armies to these cases that we were on, and uh, we needed to find better ways to litigate. And so we needed to act as commandos, and that meant that we needed to find ways to basically multiply the type of work that we were doing, and technology was that solution. And so over the years, we had grown um, our boutique firm to a, a pretty good size, about 40 lawyers, uh, developed a good reputation. And uh, you know, to carry that forward, you know, that's when we started to look at AI about three years ago, and uh, th that's how um, we started to dabble in it, really tested the, um, the limits of what AI can do and what it couldn't do, and uh, legalization was the result. And Thomas, so you guys met when you were at Quinn, is that right? Or tell us kind of how... No, I've had the pleasure of knowing James prior to working together. We were uh, friends socially, and uh, while he was at Quinn, uh, this man always had the entrepreneurial spirit. While at Quinn, he was always thinking about new businesses and new ideas, and I always told him, you're crazy. You're just crazy. <laughs> He's still crazy to this day. And I think that's what makes possible what we have done today, which is not afraid to try new things. So I did join him at LTL, the firm that he started about 10 years ago. And we started working together with the purpose of growing the firm into a nationally recognized litigation boutique. And uh, that's what brought us together. And this is just a continuation of that desire to build something from our experiences, but really to make um, the practice of law more interesting. Well, and you guys have gotten a fair amount of publicity. You've been written up uh, quite a few times. I was very impressed when I first saw what you were doing out at the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium annual meeting. But for our listeners who haven't seen your product or heard about it, can you tell us kind of what it does? Go ahead. He always gives me the tough questions, <laughs> i got to say. So we're a legal tech uh, company, certainly, uh, but we're solving specific pain points in litigation. And uh, what we did was our goal was to really tackle some of the volume process-driven, you know, sort of uh, uh, tedious tasks that are involved in litigation, particularly in the early stages of litigation. 
And we set out not to just create a tool that will incrementally improve some efficiencies or in incrementally help attorneys do their jobs a little bit faster, cheaper, better. We really wanted to see if we can use AI to draft work product that associates and paralegals uh, and, and other uh, attorneys at firms actually create. And so when we went back and looked at our own law firm and uh, really looked at the early stages of litigation and what, what were some of the tedious volume-driven tasks that our associates were performing, which they didn't enjoy, uh, they found very, uh, in the words of one of the reporters that, that covered us, very soul-crushing. That's what we decided to focus on. And today what you have is with our system, you can literally automate the drafting of answers to complaints, outgoing written discovery, uh, for instance, interrogatories and uh, requests for production. And also, you're able to respond to uh, discovery requests. At least you're able to, we're able to create a shell to the response with targeted objections to those uh, requests. So what we've done is we've created essentially a new category, uh, and that is the category of automating actual litigation work product. All right, so when I've when I've told a couple of law firms about this, because I was a former litigator, and I was, and, right. and actually, I in a lot of ways, I'm surprised that it's taken this long for someone to create a product right. like what you guys created. So I think I see power in it in a lot of different ways. I've had a couple of attorneys say to me though, like, "Oh, we have templates, and right. we're pretty efficient at doing this." I mean, why is this better than having a template to do these tasks? Uh, because a template is not a smart and dynamic system, and that's the big difference between template-driven solutions and what we've developed, which is an AI machine learning-based system. So, you know, think of it as uh, uh, the other people might have a TurboTax type of approach where they ask questions and then it leads into the next sort of uh, phase of the question and then another question and then at some point it delivers some output. Our system, we wanted to design a system end-to-end -end where you can just simply upload a complaint and you know, two minutes later, you get the finished uh, work product on par with what a good first or, se or second year lawyer would be doing. I want to keep diving a little bit deeper in this, right? Because I think one of the challenges we have in the legal industry right now is it's really easy to say that you're using artificial intelligence and then no one really asks questions. They don't know how to ask questions maybe even. So, and you mentioned machine learning. Tell us a little bit more about the machine learning approach that you're using. Well, you know, in... Um, there is conferences. The way I explained artificial intelligence is simply a, it's, think of it as a pattern recognition machine. That's all it is. The more patterns you can show it, the more examples, it's going to find patterns within the examples that you, that you give it. And the way it works is um, you can think of it almost like a coin sorter where um, you take unstructured information, you know, whether you have a bunch of coins, you put it through a hopper, and what the AI platform does is it starts looking through and sorting very quickly, um, in this case, words or phrases uh, to put into neat little sort of uh, data fields or um, entity relationship um, pairs. And we take that information once it's been classified, um, and then we start refining it even further using several different techniques to essentially um, reach the, the same conclusions a lawyer might be reaching. And so what we're trying to do is we're mimicking what a good first or second year uh, litigator might be doing under the similar circumstances. And, and what platform are you using for the machine learning? So we use a few, actually. Uh, we use IBM Watson for some of the uh, functions, and we have built a couple of other AI classifiers on top of that to refine um, the decision-making. So what we're finding is that one AI classifier isn't the best for everything. 
And um, you know, the way we sort information, it's actually quite strenuous. We take several different approaches to take a look at the same sentence or a paragraph um, in order for us to determine what is the best way to sort of parse um, that paragraph and then to obtain the information that we want. So sometimes Watson works great. Um, and if it doesn't, then we're using a second uh, classifier. If that doesn't work, we're going to use a third classifier using different well-known techniques in the machine learning um, world. You know, sometimes when I hear some of these problems that we're approaching discussed, it's framed just as a data problem. So there's a lot of variance across attorneys. And I've heard some people say, well, that means we're going to need a lot of data. I mean, I wonder actually if those approaches are going to work very well, because there are some areas where we don't seem to have standards, best practices. And if, if you could just keep adding more data and there's tons of noise and variance in the data, I mean, I don't know where that's going to get you. How, how did you guys kind of solve for that in, in your solution here? I mean, how much kind of expert input is required versus just looking across the documents? I'll, I'll handle that, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the best answer to that is it depends. And what I mean by that is um, it depends on the domain. It depends on what you're asking the system to do. It depends on whether the likelihood of ambiguities exist. You know, the likelihood that there's more ambiguities means that you have to give it more examples to identify the different classifications that you want to teach it. You know, I think the mistake that a lot of people are making in the AI world, and you've, you, know, you, you read articles in the newspaper about uh, medical institutions that have uh, spent millions of dollars and it just failed. I think what's going on there is um, they were probably using an unsupervised learning process, um, probably um, led to believe that you can just feed tons of data uh, in the form of medical journals and somehow it's going to magically learn medicine. That's not how it works. Uh, you, ha you frequently do have to use a supervised learning process, particularly for um, what I'm going to call professional languages. Uh, legalese is one of those languages. It's not normal English. You cannot use a standard um, AI dictionary um, that can parse that natural language. You have to teach a system what a plaintiff is and all the variations, uh, what a defendant is and all the variations, and all the ways a defendant has been accused of screwing over a plaintiff. All those classifications you have to think of. And we're not talking about 10 or 20. I mean, we're talking about several hundred that you have to think about and then think about the combinations of those pairs in order to um, you know, come up with the, the right ontology uh, or the classification scheme that, that you're going to get the, the best results possible. And if I understand the way you guys built your system too, I want to keep drilling just a little bit deeper on this. It's not like if I told you, oh, well, let's, we're going to do this for a certain type of law in California, and I'm going to give you every complaint and every answer. You guys would say, well, I don't think I want every complaint and every answer. You are actually a bit more targeted. You wanted specific type of information, data to train your system. And again, I think this is something that's missed frequently. People talk about this, about, like, well, you just need data. Well, but what's the quality of the data? And Right. So, you know, this is part art and part science. Um, the art part is coming up with a good combination of cases to expose the um, machine learning platform to enough examples where it's going to be able to find patterns, right? Um, and so um, our system is heavily curated. It's curated by lawyers. And what we do is we're really looking at the samples, the type of cases that would be um, uh, that, that we think the system is going to encounter. And what we'll do is we'll go source publicly filed complaints 
and we're going to start um, basically teaching the system how to identify all the necessary claims. You know, it, it's a curated process, an iterative process, where, uh, you know, for instance, um, there was a, a time when our motor vehicles uh, domain didn't do a good job identifying traffic violations. And so what we did is we went out and we curated and found really good examples of traffic violation cases and then fed that into the platform. And then we did the learning models and then tested. And sure enough, um, it was able then to then identify traffic violations. And so that's the sort of iterative process that people have to go through. Um, it's a long process. Um, it's not a, a magical process where you do it once and uh, like I dream of Genie, you, you blink your eyes and something comes out. It's, it doesn't work like that. It takes sometimes 20, 30, 40, 50 times before um, uh, of constant testing, retesting, uh, uploading, testing, retesting uh, to see whether you're getting the results that, you, that you're getting. And is this, uh, I mean, the way you've deployed it in most places, is this like an online learning system? It continues to learn as you go on? Like, is there continuous training? How, how do you handle that that part of it? Yeah, so um, th that, that underscores um, the biggest problem in the AI machine learning world, which is data bias. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, we were listening to that lecture at Stanford about data bias, and it, it's the biggest problem. And the way that we solved it is when... Clients run new complaints through our system. It doesn't affect the learning domain. Um, and the reason why we made it that way is we didn't want a client or a law firm or um, an insurance company to run a certain number of claims of a certain type to skew the results any, in, in any particular direction. So um, what we do is um, um, every couple of weeks, we're going to look at the results and see, do we need to supplement the domain? Are we missing anything? Let's um, update the domain. Well, let's find uh, uh, new samples. Let's put that in. Um, and so that, that's the, the curation part that I'm telling you about is that um, you know, we, we want to keep that pristine as possible so that uh, we don't end up with that data bias that I think uh, some other companies are likely to experience. And what, what jurisdictions now do you, do you handle? What types of, of cases? I mean, where, where are you guys available at this point, Legal sure. Nation? So we started in uh, California because we're California lawyers and uh, we, uh, we practice in California. Yeah. And the uh, office space we already had, so that was, that was one way to keep uh, overhead low. But California and we have uh, Texas, we have New Jersey, and uh, Florida is coming online in a couple of weeks. And shortly after that, New York. So we are targeting sort of the, the large states in terms of volume, not necessarily population, maybe with the exception of uh, New Jersey, which we sort of moved up the, the rank because of a, of a large customer who wanted to get to New Jersey first. Okay. In terms of practice domains, we started with uh, employment uh, litigation, employment cases. Uh, then we moved on to all sorts of tort cases, so product liability, um, slip and fall type cases. Um, you got, um, what else do we have there on torts? All torts, all injury type cases, yeah, motor vehicles is included as well. Pharmaceutical cases. Pharma product liability. Uh, and the third domain is insurance, um, bad faith uh, cases. Yep. And, and we have financial services um, that are that's in alpha mode right now uh, that we expect to beta test maybe in a few more weeks. So essentially we're targeting the large volume cases that, um, that really makes up for about 80 to 90% of the litigation docket in the country. Okay. Yeah. And it sounds like you guys are starting to tackle more and more complex areas as well, because I know when there were first uh, some stories, it was heavily discussed about Walmart hand, you know, handling cases for Walmart. And, and, and a lot of lawyers said, oh, well, slip and fall cases, but I don't do slip and fall cases. I do much you know, fancier things. And so this isn't going to affect me. I mean, where do you think, I mean, how far can you keep going kind of with this model to automate portions of the litigation process, drafting documents and so on? <laughs> 
I actually think we can go pretty far. And um, the reason why I say that is, you know, people think of us as a company that can produce answers and discovery, but that's not what we really do. Um, you know, our, our real value is the ability to take unstructured information in the form of the complaints or documents, use a machine learning AI process to structure it, and then to classify it in you know, many, many, many different ways. And when I say many, 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 uh, I'm talking about, um, you know, we are, each of our domains, we probably measure about 500 entity relationships. And um, if, you, if you were to um, look at the number of permutations um, and the number of combinations you can get, at 10 positions, which actually isn't that many, you know, like plaintiff, defendant, claims, um, injury date, at 10 positions, that ends up being 0.89 octillion number of possible combinations. That's 10 to the 27th power. That number should scare everyone in this room because we are barely scratching the surface on what we can do with the system. And so, um, you know, what the next um, products that we're thinking about is to use that ability to take unstructured information and structure it in so many different ways that, um, you know, we can then deploy better analytics, case research, even uh, responses to um, simple motions, maybe even preparing motions to dismiss. Um, there's so many things that we can do that it's really exciting to think about. Uh, you know, if we had a blue sky session, we can probably, you know, map out 20 things that we can do just by our ability to take uh, unstructured data and then to structure it. And who are some of your customers right now? Like, uh, uh, you know, name, we, we know Walmart because that's been in the news. And uh, uh, I know that I've, well, there's some other that have been publicly disclosed. So can you disclose the ones you can and tell us maybe some of the other where you think you see opportunities or? Well, uh, James is looking at me like I should uh, answer that question, <laughs> even though we're subject to NDAs for a lot of them. Uh, the truth is we can't disclose I would say a majority of our large clients, um, but I, I will say, well, Ogletree is one that we can mention. Ogletree Deacons has been a phenomenal partner for us. Uh, they are really led by Patrick Di Domenico, their CKO. They've been at the forefront of change and embracing uh, technology for the practice of law. And uh, we've entered into a special partnership with them. So they're going to assist us and we're going to work together on a lot of things that uh, probably can't disclose uh, right now, but that's one company. We actually serve um, uh, very large insurance companies as well, but we can't uh, name the names. Um, and a number of, uh, let's just say, a great number of Fortune 100 companies are currently in pilot testing and about to roll things out. So we're very excited. So tell me more about using uh, using this kind of like for early case assessments. Uh, that's something we've chatted about before. Maybe is anyone really starting to try to make progress with that? Like really trying to build out a model for predicting where a case is going to go and and being able to use the power to analyze a complaint when it comes in right from the beginning to. Yeah, so um, nothing like that is available now, but that's something we're going to be working on. And um, that's the real exciting part about all this. You know, to, just to give a concrete example, if you want analytics on a wrongful termination case, you can get that today. Um, you can get a wrongful termination report, and it can give you ranges about how much you should spend, what the settlement value should be, et cetera. But experienced uh, employment lawyers will tell you that all wrongful termination cases are not the same. Uh, people that have been employed for a number of years, much different risk than someone who's been employed for six weeks. Um, and there's no way to capture that information efficiently. Well, our AI platform can capture that information. Not only can it capture the wrongful termination case, but if it's in the complaint, figure out how many years um, he or she's been employed, the basis for the termination, um, the injuries that he's um, alleging, the amount that um, he's alleging, uh, the name of the plaintiff's lawyer, you know, all these factors that come into play, we can capture in seconds. 
and um, essentially then deploy that into a more comprehensive analytics program to give you a more nuanced view of, uh, of the risk of your case. It's almost like a digital DNA fingerprint of a complaint. What about, how does the review of the work product work right now? Like when you get a draft of the answer, I mean, how much, surely the lawyers are reviewing the work product before you file it in the court. I mean, uh, you know, what does that review process look like? Are you guys trying to capture data about what kind of changes are made, how much change needs to be made before it can be filed? I can try to take a stab at it. Somebody asked me that question earlier today. So we're not... Um, we're not tracking keystrokes if it, maybe that's where you're getting at. And that's one way to do it, which is, is someone editing the document online and can we see sort of the changes that are being made? Uh, no. Right now, um, once the user runs the complaint through and they get the answer and the, uh, the initial set of written discovery, uh, it ends up on the other side of the fence. So they will download it and whatever they edit, you know, through their basic Word, uh, it's a Word document, so uh, whatever they edit, we don't see those changes. I can tell you this though, from a constant feedback that we get from uh, attorneys, I think the best measure is really the time that they spent to finalize the documents that we're providing. In the early days, when we were just ramping up with Walmart, for instance, as an example, we knew that their outside counsel were spending maybe half an hour to an hour editing and finalizing the downloads, the documents that we produced. I recently contacted several of them, and now what's happened is that editing, finalizing time has gone to about 15 minutes or less. And the reason is quite simple, because now they realize that the system is very consistent. They have gotten used to it now. They have learned to trust what is coming out of our system. And so that, by that fact alone, we can tell you that they're saving about 70 to 80% of time uh, in drafting these uh, documents. Yeah. You know, and when I was a partner... Um, when I would wait to get work product from young associates, sometimes it was good, sometimes what's your, it was- What's your words, what's your words? I know, sometimes <laughs> it was terrible. And yeah. um, that, Thank you. Th that lack of consistency was a big problem. And that's one thing that we were striving to, to, to solve is can we develop a platform that was consistent enough where um, the reviewing attorney uh, you know, can trust it, um, you know, if there's any uh, weaknesses, it'll know where it is, where it strengths, and then um, just move forward uh, from that point. And I think we've done that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think though, it's interesting that the, the way that's framed, because I think it also gets back to the training idea, right? Because associates may be inconsistent, but partners are inconsistent frequently as well. Right. And, and maybe the work product that you thought was excellent, maybe Thomas wouldn't think it was, or someone else would want to do it differently. And I think one of the interesting things about these platforms is I think some people, times people worry about whether the machines will produce high enough quality, but when are we going to get to a point where people are going to say, look, the people shouldn't be editing and changing this. The machine is the highest quality product we have. Well, I, I don't know if we ever want to. So from a practical standpoint, from a technical standpoint, I think that's very possible. From a practical uh, standpoint, I think you always want the attorneys to sign off on the documents because obviously we have ethical rules and yeah, you know, yeah. licensing rules and regulatory uh, issues. Yeah. But, but you're right. I mean, from a technical standpoint, it's possible. And I think it, you know, it probably will get there. But you always do want the human eye sure, to, sure. to sign off yeah. on it. Well, and there's a difference between reviewing it. Like we supervise work that others have done. And, and when we outsource work and things like that, the lawyer's got the responsibility. But I, I mean, to me, the, the maybe the more important point to make rather than pushing the envelope on this is that I think sometimes people think, well, this is all just about efficiency, right? This is just pushing. But quality, right? We're getting higher quality yep. when, we, when we use these tools as well. Right, right. 
All right, well, let's take a quick break right now. So before we continue our interview with uh, James Lee, co-founder and CEO at LegalMation, and Thomas Sa, co-founder and COO at LegalMation, uh, we're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Thompson Reuters Westlaw Edge is the most intelligent legal research platform ever. Powered by state-of-the-art artificial intelligence, Westlaw Edge delivers the fastest answers and the most valuable insights, providing you with a clear strategic advantage. The advanced features on Westlaw Edge allow legal professionals to practice with a greater degree of certainty and confidence never before available. Visit westlawedge.com to learn more. And we're back. Thank you for joining us. We're with James Lee, co-founder and CEO at LegalMation, and Thomas Su, co-founder and COO at LegalMation. So guys, we've been talking uh, a lot here about how your tool automating uh, different parts of the litigation process is, is going to have an impact. Uh, well, why don't you tell me more, I guess, let's say, about the impact that you think that your tool is going to have on the way we litigate cases, the way we formulate strategy, where, where are lawyers going to really add value when they're using these tools? What do you think? Yeah, uh, very briefly, I mean, the, the automation of the early stage discovery documents and answers and pleadings that we are currently doing already, they're fantastic tools, if you will, uh, but they're just a small sliver of what the real impact is on litigation strategy overall. And, um, you know, from, from our view and from the view of clients, what this does now is it, it kind of shifts some of the, uh, actually shifts a lot of the time that is usually spent on grunt work and scut work and gives the time back to attorneys to focus on strategy, on investigations and other things like that. In addition to that, on the discovery uh, request uh, module that we have, if you're saving that much time in, in an activity that is typically very um, soul-crushing, if you will, and repetitive, and you're saving that much time, the leverage that was used by, let's say, a, a large firm against a smaller firm in litigating a case where you know the term burying somebody in paperwork is no longer there. This levels the playing field. So I think litigation strategy can change because of that. Uh, it can change at many different levels as well. With the other things that we have planned on the data analytics side and many other things, uh, I think we can fundamentally change how lawyers view this tool to litigate their cases. Well, just based on what you guys have done already and what I've seen other stuff I see Itai Guerreri doing with Judicata. I mean, there's a lot of people who are doing stuff where I think mapping the law, laying, laying the foundation to automate even more processes. I mean, I don't think, I, I can't imagine we're too far away being able to automate the drafting of a, a motion to dismiss and, and the brief that would support it. What is the, I mean, I think there's still something there for, left for the lawyer to do. What does it look like for the lawyer? What's the lawyer's job when you have this first draft coming out of legalmation of a brief supporting a motion to dismiss, for example? I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah. Well, I mean, like the way I envision it, and you know, I sometimes I see I see lawyers freelancing a little bit, or like kind of. We talk about specializing, right? But do, how many lawyers really, really know the industry, really that they're working in, really, really know their client, the judge, right? What if we had more time to really be laser focused? I mean, you know, might that be a way that litigation changes? Yeah, I, I think um, you know, once we can push 
the value up further up the chain, um, you know, the better. I think we will all start experiencing better outcomes for clients. Um, you know, there have been many times, and I'm sure uh, with you too, that you wished you had more time to prepare for a deposition. Yeah. You yeah. wished you had more time to prepare an opposition to a certain motion. You wished you had more time to prepare a cross-examination. Well, um, tools like this give lawyers that time so that they can start really practicing their craft to get better outcomes for clients. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the other things I hear about this space and, uh, you know, we're making predictions at this point, but I've heard people say, oh, there's going to be more and more data and there won't be any cases tried. On the other hand, I think, hmm, you know, there are a lot of cases when I was litigating that probably should have been tried, but it was just going to be too expensive to get it to the stage of trial. Maybe this will help us figure out more quickly what cases ought to be tried. And Yeah. I, I think um, once you have more detailed analytics, you will really get to see a real money ball approach to litigation. Uh, you know, uh, they use, uh, you know, money ball in sports and, and baseball. Um, it, why aren't we using it in litigation, right? And so um, I think you're definitely going to see a day, and that day is going to come fairly soon, where um, clients are going to have more visibility, more transparency into the risk, uh, more visibility and transparency into legal spend, uh, and how much they should be settling cases. So artificial intelligence, uh, there's been some hype but some people then kind of write it off. I mean, what, where do you think? Are, are we gonna see uh, a lot bigger things than even just what we're seeing right now? Like, wh how, what's the impact gonna be uh, in the legal industry longer term, do you think? So I think, uh, legal mission at least, uh, you know, we, if you use artificial intelligence in the right circumstances for the right projects, for the right tasks, I think it's a fantastic solution. I think the big mistake that people make is having the impression that it can do it all and eventually it's gonna be able to do it all. I don't know about that. Uh, I think it's, maybe we're far away from that sort of, uh, the, the idea of singularity or something of that sort, or a general AI, if you will. I, I, I'm not gonna dismiss it offhand, but from what we have seen so far, it is fantastic at doing specific tasks in a big way and very fast. And so if you know how to leverage that for certain tasks in the legal field, I think it has tremendous effects. Um, I do think it is going to improve. I think it's going to get uh, probably faster, better, and all that good stuff. But uh, I'm not sure if it'll it'll have the impact of replacing an attorney's uh, strategic thinking on a case or perhaps being able to appeal to a jury while they're arguing in court because those are sort of intangible, less data-driven, and more feel type of uh, activities. And I, I, maybe AI will be able to do that someday, but I think we're far away from that. What about, um, I know I've, I've spoken with both of you guys and you're interested in possible applications in the access to justice space. Tell me how, where you think this could really have an impact. Yeah, you know, for a lot of us at the company, um, the promise of AI and legal AI is um, not only to do the work that we're doing, but also to um, you know, spread those advantages to as many people as possible. And you know, what um, a lot of people don't realize is that um, this technology can be used in other contexts. And one of those contexts um, could include access to justice. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, there's a lot of pro bono organizations that are turning away people because they don't have the resources. Well, if we can help them, or if other AI companies can help pro bono organizations serve more people, that's a good thing. And uh, that's one of the things that we're striving to do. I um, mean, we are talking to a couple of organizations that, uh, where we can apply um, our learning to, um, to increase uh, veterans' benefits, landlord-tenant type of disputes. That brings a, a smile to all of our faces because um, you know, that, that's an example of where I think AI can really be used for good. 
James, you mentioned uh, a lecture at Stanford that we were both at. I was at Stanford with Jay Mundell, and we put on a, a boot camp there for law, computer science, and graduate business school students around exponential innovations, AI, and law, getting them to think about uh, learning about these tools so they can evaluate them, thinking about business models, thinking about the application of law and ethics in that space as well. And, and you were kind enough to come and spend a full day plus with us as, as a coach to those student teams. What do you guys think we ought to be doing in law school in light of the technologies and the way practice is changing? So um, that's a great question. And, you know, there's a couple law schools that we're talking to right now um, where we're um, talking about um, having uh, some students help annotate. So um, training a machine learning platform, maybe even use that so that the um, students at the clinic start using that tool so that it's a sort of an ecosystem at particular law schools where they're able to use AI, both from a practical sense as, as users, but also as uh, another practical sense where they begin to really understand and how to train an AI system. And you know, from a training perspective, I think that's fantastic. What about just more holistically? I mean, do you think we need to be changing the way we train lawyers in, in law school in light of the way the marketplace is changing? I see you nodding, yes, Thomas. Yeah, what do you I mean, think it's sort that? of like, uh, I mean, at least for me, my opinion is that, uh, you know, there's a place for, I think we need to shift. It, it's sort of like these uh, technical schools, right? Not, not the general, you know, universities and liberal, liberal arts uh, schools, but more the technically very focused type of uh, training uh, platforms that you have. I think law schools need to shift to that. Uh, I think law schools for too long have been more caught up in the theory of things and the, uh, the, the possibility of things and studying sort of the old cases. And that's important stuff, but I think it's got to become more practical, meaning maybe partner up with uh, um, uh, actual um, attorneys that are practicing and maybe increase that access, uh, get them more hands-on training, right, so that they're ready to roll as soon as they step out. I mean, let's face it, corporations are specifically telling their law firms not to put first-year associates on their cases because the typical first-year associate, at least today, as of today, uh, their value is limited because of what they know or, or really because of what they don't know. So I think if you create a program where the first-year uh, junior associates are out of law school but ready to roll into a you know, into a, a litigation shop or uh, whatever other firm, but they're able to, to produce and contribute meaningfully right off the bat, then I think that's where the focus should be. And a lot of law schools are thinking that way. They're yeah. becoming more training grounds as opposed to this theory academic um, yeah. arena. Yeah. Yeah. And then I look at the kind of products you guys are building and what I want to do, like what we're doing at Northwestern, I want to train the lawyers who are going to see the opportunities that folks like you can help them deliver on, but also know how to ask the tough questions to make sure they're fulfilling their professional obligations, make sure these tools actually work the way they're supposed to, uh, and they understand really the benefits and risks right. of, of using the tools. But All right, well, right. thank you very much for joining us, you guys. Can you just tell us, uh, James, starting with you, about how listeners can reach you if they want to get in contact? Uh, Give me your home address and your uh, <laughs> personal email. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I, I have no idea. They would. Well, LegalMation, I know LegalMation is on Twitter. I mean, you, you guys would need some sales training, I think. No, <laughs> LegalMation's on Twitter. We're on Twitter uh, as you, much as the president, but uh, we, we do our best. <laughs> Listeners can reach us uh, through our website. We have a contact form. Uh, okay. We're happy to uh, uh, put them on our um, on our list and uh, distribute as we have more news. And uh, certainly, uh, if there's any interest out there to see a demo, they can certainly, uh, you know, we can put them in touch with one of our folks. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys joining us here in, in New York for, uh, during Legal Week. This has been another edition of Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. If you like what you heard today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, 
Join us next time for another edition of Law Technology Now. I'm Dan Linna, signing off. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.